0: Hi. So before we get into this episode, we wanted to thank you for listening and let you know a couple of things you can do to support the show and make sure we can keep bringing it to you every single week. First and frankly, most fun things first, our secret menu membership program, which is a once weekly members only newsletter that costs four bucks a month, which comes out to, you know, a dollar a week. If you enjoy our free Monday newsletter, chances are you'll probably like this one too. It's got shopping picks, gift guides, recipes, rundowns of our favorite things in various categories like. What are the cute toilet brushes? A question I know you have been asking. And it even has an advicey column where we answer audience questions. Sign up for it at a thing or two HQ.com and you'll even get access to all the back issues you missed while you were sleeping on it. And here's something else you can do to help us out that doesn't cost a dime. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You may have noticed that discovery is still stupidly hard when it comes to podcasts and subscriptions and reviews make a big difference in helping us get on the radar of other new listeners. All right, so you want a third thing? Support our advertisers. Use these codes that they give us when you shop with them. We only work with brands we believe in, and we hope you love them as much as we do. We're ridiculously grateful to you for listening and for showing us your support in whatever way you do. Thank you. And now on to the show.
1: Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Maser
0: And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to A and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content.
1: To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at A thing or Two HQ. As a reminder, we're offering free ad reads to Black-owned businesses. Hit us up at podcast at a thing or two hq.com. Hi.
0: Hi. We were talking the other day about the things that have been making being at home, like, certainly not exciting, certainly not like anything like that,
1: but they have like, you know, warmed our hearts in small small (laughs) ways. I'm Um, glad you said warmed our hearts because I'm going to talk about a remote control light dimmer and that, (laughs) you know, feels like it falls squarely in that category.
0: Tell me about it. I'm very interested in this. I want to hear everything.
1: So it's, I guess, oh, right. Okay. Now I'm remembering when we moved into the house, none of the lights were on a dimmer and it was one of those like long-term projects. It's like at some point it would be nice for these to be on a dimmer. So it wasn't always either dark or like glaring, right? And so at some point, Chris went out and bought a bunch of dimmer kits and we had an electrician come and replace them. And I think Chris like kind of just randomly bought whatever and one of them happened to have a remote control. And so we put that one in the bedroom and it quickly became one of these things where it was like, how did I... Ever live before this? Because and it <laughs> it's honestly has absolutely nothing to do with the dimming function and everything to do with being able to turn off the lights without getting out of bed.
0: It's that is which is what, just incredibly your brand. Like it, doing things while <laughs> reclining is your brand.
1: Like the coffee bed before it, like bendy straws before it, like <laughs> the camelback water bottle. All of this just aids in me being able to be horizontal as often, yeah. as, as often as possible. And I love it so much. And obviously it goes missing all the time because I have a two-year-old and he loves this thing. And it shocks me how frustrated I get when I like roll over in bed to turn off my lights and realize it's missing. And I just have had to buy replacements. Like I think we have like three now and occasionally it's <laughs> up and another goes missing. But it's like, I, this is something I can no longer function without. I love it. I love this so much. Dimmer switches were one of those
0: things that I felt really strongly about when we moved this year too. Oh, interesting. And- and Thomas hates overhead lights in general mm-hmm. it's that's a strong yeah. part of his brand. Um, and I was like, "No, no, we're doing this. Yeah. like we are doing this And he was very like reluctant about it mm. but i've I think I've so far gotten two switches in our house on dimmers um, i I've been petitioning for a few more, and I have to say like He's fairly handy, but he's he's no electrician, and mm-hmm. he installed them himself. And it's not like it's not very hard. If they you, aren't like, that hard
1: to install, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So just
0: make sure you buy the thing that tests the electric voltage coming out of the socket. To, <laughs> you know, make sure it's not on when you're switching it, and you're
1: good to go. And consider a remote control version. Just I just I know that it's some inspiring. people inspiring. it's wonderful. I know some people have bedside lamps, and that's how they avoid having to get out of bed to turn off the lights. You don't and have I, a bedside lamp? No. Oh, interesting. It's like. I don't like the idea of having another thing on my bedside table yeah. and I, you know, you could do a sconce, but like, this is how oh I gosh, handle that. I feel so strongly about,
0: about bedside lamps. And when I like, when I stay any place that doesn't have one, I get really upset about
1: it. But why is it because you like having the ability to turn it on and off without getting out of bed?
0: Yeah. I mean, of course I like, <laughs> so, to yes. be able to, I like to be able to read in bed right. and then turn the light off. Without- Listen, Potato, potato! No, totally,
1: totally, <laughs> totally. I'm so into this. Yeah, I'm so into this. <laughs> we're we're singing the same song, different tune. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you should not have to get out of bed once right. you get in it. Is That's the song. right. Yeah, the thing that is making me weirdly happy is my little calamansi tree. You, I just like Very have charming. Such a, I have such a soft spot for citrus trees in general. <laughs> Couldn't tell you where it came from, but well, they smell so good. They smell so good. And this has by far been my most successful citrus tree. Mm-hmm. I had a Meyer lemon tree at some point. Um, and it was very cute, but it never it never produced blooms, let alone fruit. And I heard I read somewhere that Meyer lemon trees are like prone to bugs or to um, disease or whatever. Oh, but that they're like not that they're not particularly hardy and that calamansi mm-hmm. ones may be more hardy. So I got this one from a company called Via Citrus um, that I feel like has really taken off this year. They sell California citrus plants. They have red limes, which I don't even barely know what that is. Me either. They have finger limes, key limes, Meyer lemon. But as I've said, why would you buy a Meyer (laughs) lemon when you could have a calamansi, which is this, it's like the little fruit that is kind, it's like half mandarin orange and half kumquat, and you can eat the skin, Mm -hmm. um, which is like what's more of a charming feature. Truly. that it is cultivated in the philippines and there are now like more calamansi flavored things coming yeah. out
1: i feel like i've had calamansi juice at or or like cocktails at um like filipino restaurants and stuff totally. like that that are so delicious it's like a really sweet but not cloying
0: type of of citrus totally and that um seltzer company senza has a oh, calamansi yes, yes, flavor yes. uh too and this um this new cocktail brand called Zuzu has one too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's clearly it's happening a moment <laughs> and it's happening a moment in my bedroom. Amazing. Um, oh, in your bedroom. How lovely. Right. So basically it was living outside in the spring, summer, fall, and now mm-hmm. he's moved in. Um, his name's Cal. Oh, cute. Yeah. He's moved in for the winter and he's now blooming and he smells so good and like sits right by my bed and it feels, it's like smells like there's like a Joe Malone candle lit or something
1: The right smell there. thing is something I hadn't considered and that's, now I am inspired and you're kind of making me want to get one for like our TV room. I, it's, it's a strong sell. I just love this, like the citrus flower smell so me much. Me too, me too. My dad always had Meyer lemon trees in our home and it's such a distinct smell. Yeah, very into good. It. Yeah, I encourage it. I'm in. Thank you so much to Best Fiends for sponsoring today's episode. I have talked recently, I think, about my morning routine and how my ideal routine when I wake up is to do some sort of a game or a challenge on my phone. And that is because I am resigned to the fact that the first thing I'm going to do in the morning is pick up my phone, but I am attempting to avoid having the second thing I do be opening my email or Instagram or the news. And playing a game just feels like a very sort of gentle, nice way to wake up my brain that is not going to run the risk of telling me something terrible or giving me anxiety. But it is going to sort of just give me that little bit of like kindness in the morning where I'm just doing something that's just for me, that's not for work, that doesn't feel productive. It just is like there to sort of give me something to do. Give me a distraction. And this game, Best Fiends, has been distracting in the most wonderful of ways, whether it is as like this brief little moment of self-care in the morning or like standing in line for four hours for my COVID test recently. It's just been a nice little pal to have in my pocket. It's this cute little game where you have these fun characters that you befriend and they help you figure out, you know, what the goal of each level is. It's just a nice little serotonin boost that is not Twitter or Instagram, which I think is something we could all use. Best Fiends is the can't put it down mobile puzzle game that's free to download. With over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Befriend a cast of fiends who help solve each level and defeat the slugs, which are the slimy little cute baddies. And with Best Fiends, the fun never ends. There are over 5,000 puzzle levels and counting. So if you were worried you'd get to level 3,247 and run out of fun, don't be. There's always another update, whether it's more levels, new events, or other changes to the game based on fan feedback. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends.
0: I want to introduce you to something that everybody needs in their life, which is Adderall and compliments, which is also the name of my podcast. I'm Annabelle, and every week I want you to come kiki with me and my hilarious friends as we talk about everything from reality TV to dating fails, mental health. I promise it will make you laugh, and most importantly, it will make you feel so much better about your own life. So come join me and my baby stripper voice every Friday on iTunes, Spotify, and follow me on Instagram at Annabelle's Assisto and give me the greatest gift of all, which is validation.
1: The other thing we wanted to talk about today. Mental health. Mental health. Um, so we were thinking this episode is coming out in early January. It's new year, same pandemic, same gray winter. Apparently it's going to snow a ton this year. We're all stuck inside. We're not seeing friends. We're not seeing family. Feels like a good time to check in on our mental health and mental health of our loved ones, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. We've. Been, I realized As the said, other day There's been like a bad moment over the last year But yeah Right, true, true <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day I was like, wow I will have had two birthdays during this pandemic When all is said and done Like, that's crazy to think about
0: I'm about to have my first one. Um, And can you remember when, you know, when it was like your birthday and it felt like, wow, in March, where it was like, wow, this is like this crazy thing that like only you will experience (laughs) and how strange. And then here we are.
1: (laughs) It's still happening. So we thought, yeah, we'd do kind of like a deep dive on mental health in general and and depression, um, which is something we've talked about like here and there, but never done a full episode dedicated to. And I have to say, I was thinking about it in writing up notes for this. And I, so I got on antidepressants for the first time in 2003 and I stayed on them all the way through 2008, which like in retrospect was way too long and had a kind of like challenging time cycling off of them and like went through another intense stage of depression. And I remember at that time feeling so isolated because isolation is like a a quality that always attends my depression, but also because nobody was talking about it. And it just wasn't a thing that that people talked about openly. And I was like on a lot of weird message boards trying to like find other people who were also cycling off the same antidepressants as I was. And I remember making this commitment to myself that like I would talk about it openly when I got to a place where I was like better. Where you felt good about that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And that I would do that. And now I look around and it's like, we're all talking about it. It's not a big deal to talk about it. Like I don't have to think twice about talking about it. And there's so many resources on the internet where you can feel at least less alone in having been someone who suffers from this. And I'm like, I'm just very proud of us as a society. I mean, it's truly the
0: most wonderful yeah. thing about depression in 2020 is that <laughs> we can at least talk about it.
1: Yes, agreed. It's really like, it just, it doesn't feel like that long ago that I was was feeling i like no one else was talking about it, and yet we have come so crazily far in just how normalized it's become.
0: I sometimes think about all the celebrities who are willing to talk openly about mental illness and struggles, and it's it just kind of blows my mind that you know Selena Gomez or demi Lovato or mariah Carey or um even Kanye, to a certain extent are willing to talk about these things that I think you know. 10 years ago or whatever, everybody would have just been going to the hospital for exhaustion. Um, <laughs> yes. And yes. that would be like the code for like someone's going through a tough like place. But like yep. now they're like actually willing to say like I deal with anxiety or I deal with bipolar disorder or whatever it yep. is, um,
1: which is when, remarkable. I mean, to your point about like, the, you know, Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez, I think it's like we owe a lot of it to the generation below us. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I was in my early 20s and nobody was talking about it. Nobody else yeah. was talking about it.
0: Um, Now people in their early 20s hear this message pretty regularly from the people they admire and aspire to you know, and look up to. Exactly. Exactly. When you were saying Mm -hmm. that you were on antidepressants for five years and you Mm -hmm. felt like you waited too long to Mm -hmm. cycle off of them, why do you feel that way?
1: You know, it's not even necessarily that I think that's too long of a time to be on them because it's not. You should be on them for however long you need them. It's that I got put on them and then no one ever asked me if, if it seemed like a good time to go off. Nobody ever sort of like took stock and said like, do you want to try to cycle off of them? And that is partially, I don't want to say my own fault, but a, a result of the situation I was in, which is that I first started going to therapy and saw a psychiatrist for the first time the summer after my freshman year of college, then went back to college. So had to find somebody else. And Yeah graduated from college and had to find somebody else in New York. So there wasn't this continuous You were being like bopped between yeah, exactly. mental health providers. Yeah. And it was yeah. just like I would see a new person. They'd say, What are you taking? I'd say, This is what I'm doing. And they'd start continue to write me prescriptions for that. And so in some ways that was a result of my situation. But I think there is also there can be a laziness on the part of practitioners and just saying like, oh, that's what work what's working. Let's like, let's not screw with it. When in fact, like I Found at some point that I didn't like being on them anymore. I was suffering from withdrawal effects, and I also really gained a lot by going off of them because it forced me to get more familiar with like coping tools that were within my power. And I like I wasn't relying just on medication. And all of that is to say, like I was happy to get off of them, and I would like not to go back on them. But it's very possible that I may in at some point in my life. Um, I'm pretty sure that the statistic is like if you have experienced major depression at some point in your life, you have a 50% chance of experiencing it again. Yeah. And there have definitely been times where I've gotten really close to going back on again, where I felt like, okay, I've exhausted every other avenue. Um, So I don't like, I'm not against medication. I like very much um, encourage, you know, people to explore it if it's something they need. But for me, I just didn't, I didn't want to be like on a set it and forget it plan with
0: them. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you are feeling depressed or when you're at that place where you're like, okay, do I need to consider something more? Mm -hmm. What are you feeling?
1: Um, So I have like a couple of sort of, what would you call them? I have a couple of like signals that like things that if they tell. Yeah. I have a couple of tells where I'm like, okay, this might not just be like going through a rough patch. So one of them that is just such a like tried and true characteristic of my depression is waking up sad, which I also just consider to be like, one of the hardest things about depression, because if you wake up just totally like done already, like you feel like yeah. you can't crawl out of it. It's like, you've got nowhere to go. right? Like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like you can wake up being like, all right, I'm going to try again today. And like, and it's it doesn't gonna, feel like a fresh start at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a really hard thing about my depression. And, and, a, and when it's happening like a couple days in a row, I'm like, okay, like we're, we're going through it. The other one is feeling really socially isolated and the word that I think best describes the social isolation is feeling untethered. Like I'm not part of a community. I'm not like grounded by by anything or anyone. And that like, I just feel so alone in that way. And it typically has nothing to do with what my actual community looks like at that point. It just really feels like I'm so alone. And the other thing, that, and I rem- I remember, I've told you this before, like one of my more recent little stints with depression, you and I and Chris were out eating pizza together. And you and Chris Mm. were sitting across the table from me, like cracking up, like laughing, like having a great time. And I was sitting across the table being like, they're so funny and charming. And I am like not at all. And (laughs) why are my friends friends with me? And I just like am so lame and have nothing to offer. And it's like I just feeling like I have nothing and everybody else has all this What am I adding here? Yeah. And like what am I? Exactly. And why is anyone friends with me? And they're like gonna figure it out soon. And that's definitely part of it too. And like, I should also note that dinner, that pizza dinner was like three, four days before I found out I was pregnant, which like, it is nice now to have some experience with my depression and to be able to look back and say, I can see now that that was hormonally driven. And that helps me recognize other times when I'm like, Is like, is this situational? Is this hormonal? Not that one is less valid than the other, but to just be No, it's just like it's the same
0: way of like period tracking, right? It's like it doesn't like change the fact that you felt this certain way or that you were feeling emotional about something, but it's nice to know that like, oh, that actually was in line with when I was ovulating or when I had PMS or whatever. Because yes, next time I have PMS, I can at least flag for myself, maybe I will start feeling this way. And that's fine.
1: And that is so empowering. We can like get more into that later because I I think that's such a big, that's such an effective way of, of coping with depression. But yeah, I think that tracking is so important. Thank you so much to Upstart for sponsoring today's episode. I think I'm pretty sure Upstart is the first financial product we've partnered with on the show. It's possible I'm misremembering, but I'm pretty sure I know we have turned down A handful of these types of partnerships in the past, because when it comes to things like loans, we do worry about things getting predatory, slightly sleazy, downright dicey. There are so many of these things on the market today, and it's the type of thing you just want to be confident going into. And after learning about Upstart, we were impressed. Upstart accepts and approves borrowers who are new to credit or who don't have great credit because they look at factors beyond just credit history when making decisions about your loan, which is really important. And not just because there are plenty of people with not great credit who could still make great loan candidates, but also because you have to be able to get credit in order to build credit, which is just not a fair system for everyone. So if you have a credit card or multiple credit cards that you've been avoiding dealing with, which like we all know what that looks like when you can't even open the statement to know what the balance is because it feels harder to know how big it is than to just know that it's sort of out there. Upstart can help you confront it and pay it off in a way that feels manageable. Last year was not easy on anyone and for so many of us that included financial difficulties. And as tempting as it is to hide from it, it is more empowering to face it and figure out how you're going to solve it. Upstart is the fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. You can get approved the same day and receive funds as fast as one business day. If debt is taking over your life, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com a thing or two. That's upstart.com slash a thing or two. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash a thing or two. Thank you so much for checking out the partners that help make this show possible. What about you? What are what are your sort of signals? Um, I've, I feel like...
0: So I know I've experienced low-level depression. I've never been medicated. And I know I've experienced low-level anxiety, which more feels like situational anxiety than like the hum that I, that I know other friends of mine or family members experience that just like sort of never goes away. So for me, there's it's like I don't necessarily wake up sad as much as I wake up dreading the day when there's like nothing to dread. Yeah. Um, when it just feels like a lot of like but why? Like, what's the point of this? Who cares? Thomas and I joke that our rabbits motto is who cares? And I feel like when my <laughs> attitude starts mirroring hers, yep. that's a problem. Like yep. Yep. everything feels like that. Yep. Um, when everything just feels so hard mm-hmm. um, and things that, are, that I can do on another day without them feeling hard, yep. feel hard. I know that that's a tell. Um, and just when like things that typically bring me joy... Like also, it's just, I think there's a certain amount for me of just like melancholia.
1: Yeah, um, there's like a grayness over everything.
0: Yeah, it all just feels really fucking flat and like what is there here and what is worth my time and energy and why don't I just like crawl back into
1: bed? Yeah, I very much get that other common symptoms for for people and i think most people know this but it's sometimes worth repeating like fatigue and or insomnia decision paralysis loss of appetite inability to concentrate which is also definitely something that comes with my depression i just like struggle to focus yeah another thing i will say that like is a sort of <laughs> it's not a symptom of my depression so much as a side effect which is whenever i'm like get past a really intense spell of it i just live in in constant fear of it coming back mm-hmm. and i'm like constantly sort of like making decisions based on like whether or not it might trigger my depression. And it, usually after enough time, like that sort of goes away. But I, I, but you're like trepidatious, so scared, so scared, like would do anything to not have to feel that way again. And just like constantly sort of like on the lookout for it.
0: When you weaned off antidepressants, one of the big things that you started doing was exercising, which was a very yep. new to you thing. And it has, be- and it has become core to, it's a daily
1: practice for you. And I mean, and yep. it has been for. 15 years now, 20, like longer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Something like that. I mean, it's not, it's the most like pivotal moment in my life. And that like the biggest change in my life that I can identify was I started cycling off of antidepressants. I had this idea in my head, which again, I don't know where I got this idea from because people weren't talking about this back as then, much as no, you know, yeah. but I was like, I think if I exercise that will help like replace the endorphins, you know, replace the serotonin. Um, and so I had never exercised before. I didn't play sports in you know, high school. And I would just like occasionally, you know, decide I was going to go to the gym for a couple weeks in college here and there, but like, it wasn't like elliptical vibes. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly Elliptical vibes. So I started just forcing myself to go to the gym every day and I would start by running on the treadmill like five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time. And it was so incredibly helpful. And ultimately I found that the exercise was more powerful, more consistently reliable as an antidepressant than the pills had been for me, which is yeah. not to say that it, that every day I exercise, it means I'll never feel, feel out of depression amazed? or anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just that it's something that has like a, put the power back in my hands and B, where I'm like, can really connect the results, the, the mental health results with it. And it, like you said, it's now become a daily practice for me in large part, maybe like almost entirely because the fear of becoming depressed or having a day run by anxiety is yeah. the most incredible motivator, like more so than my vanity, more so than like my concern yeah, yeah, for yeah, yeah. my physical health. It's just like, it just helps me so much. And for me, you know, it's running specifically and there are so many days where I will wake up anxious and I really feel like every time my like foot pounds the pavement, I sort of like feel the anxiety in my chest like loosen a little bit and break up a little bit. And yeah. And so now I do it all the time and I I like try to preach it to as many people as possible. Again, fortunately I think that this is like a very commonly accepted thing now that exercise yeah. helps us feel better. I remember growing up when people would say, "Oh, I just feel so good from exercise." I always thought that they meant they felt physically good and I was like, physically, I feel fine i don't need to exercise and then once I started doing myself, I was like, "Oh, I get it you it 's like a drug. you actually feel better.
0: What about running do you think does it for you
1: <laughs> I mean I think there's a little bit of sweating and just the yeah. intensity and the cardio it 's also definitely meditative for me, and you know I just like listen to music and sort of you know get in my head a little bit but there is something about the movement and the sweating and the intensity that helps. And I, I also do like Pilates and, and, things like that where I'm stretching and feeling strong, but there is something But not about, for the
0: same reason Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: and like sometimes I will feel better from those things and it will help me in the same way, but I think nothing quite does it like running. I will also say that the other reason it's running is because that is the thing when I started getting off of antidepressants where I was like, well, I don't need to learn a new skill. I don't need to buy any equipment. I can do it on my own time. I don't have to sign up for a class. I can do it anywhere- and that well, was in the a-
0: early aughts, like yoga and Pilates and like yeah. all of like spin and like that wasn't like happening in the way that it is yeah. now. Either. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I knew you and Thomas knew you before like exercise yeah. was a part of your life. <laughs> and I feel like every like two or three years, Thomas will turn to me out of the blue and be like, remember when Claire just like... <laughs> ate chicken wings all the time. And like, that was like,
1: <laughs> I remember, like, I have really distinct memories for the first, like, even like a couple of years that I was running where I would see you, we'd get together for dinner or something. You'd be like, so you still running? Like, yes. and obviously you don't ask that anymore because it'd be crazy. But like, but there it was, was, like, it, was yeah. it was like a
0: surprising yeah. turn. Like no. we, everybody who knew you was like, this is a person who like <laughs> loves nothing more than a French fry, a buffalo yeah. wing, and And like, not exercising. And at that time soap operas,
1: maybe. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> and I like I wouldn't say actively disdained runners, but I was suspicious of them. I was yeah, deeply yeah, suspicious yeah, 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 of yeah, runners yeah. specifically as like people are justified in doing because it's this sort of like cultish sport and it's got, you know, it's got some annoying things about it. But no, I really remember you being like, so that you're still, still every day, huh? Still yeah. doing that, huh? Yeah. And like trying your best to not like <laughs> act surprised. It <laughs> no, it wasn't. The way you did it wasn't like you're, you weren't a prick about it, but I just like, it was also fair that you were asking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It was a huge, it was like a a totally transformational moment in my life. It couldn't have been more at odds with my identity and my like perception of my own self before that. So
0: I mean, which is even, yeah, makes it even more remarkable for me. I, I like, there was a period of time when I ran and, uh, and I still tell myself that at some point I'd like to do that again. And I just never get into it consistently. And I could not tell you why. And You've all you have always been very good to just be like it's fine. Like you have other <laughs> things you don't need to do that. But I'm like no, but I do like the idea of it. I just hate putting on the clothes. I hate being cold. I hate being wet. I like, mean, I also ugh. just
1: like it's not actually that like over. It's not good for your body as it ages. Like I think if you like Pilates more, that's definitely better in the long run. I it's just like I need that that cardio intensity or something yeah. to get yeah, the yeah, rush yeah, yeah. to get the yeah, yeah the high.
0: Yeah, um, for me, I really, I really do like both yoga and Pilates, and I think I like them as much for the mental benefits of them than I do the physical ones. Um, although I think as I've gotten older, the idea of like feeling strong has been important, and I think, and I think has been important from like a mental perspective too, mm-hmm. of just feeling like strong in your body um, and feeling like present in your body. And during this time, as much as I've bitched about having to do these things via Zoom or whatever. The fact that I've been able to do them consistently via Zoom and whatever, one, is like obviously a gift. But two, like, I think that means I really really like them and cherish them. Because it pretty much sucks um, as a user experience. So the things that I feel like I get out of them is one, just like being in my body and remembering that I have
1: a body and that that is part of being human, which I think is very easy to forget as you go about your day. Well, Um, and I think what you said about feeling strong is so true and so important and something I never appreciated when I was younger and before I discovered the benefits of exercise, th- like your body and your mind are so closely connected and the ability to physically hold yourself up, like, and to lift yourself up, like all of those things it, it, without sounding too woo-woo, like they directly translate yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah, the yeah, psychological yeah. aspect yeah. of holding yourself up and lifting yourself up, up and all of that.
0: Feeling powerful in your body yeah. has like effects on your mind. Yes. For sure. Uh, yes. Undeniably. Totally. And most of the exercise that I do involves instruction, which I like, like I I find that to be really soothing because I can get lost in the instruction. And I think that there are people, um, Thomas included, who like in the three yoga classes that I have like urged him to do is like, why all the talking, the talking needs to stop.
1: <laughs> like, You're like, that's the um, whole point, buddy. That's what we're paying them for. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> but I like that I can just pay attention to what someone else is saying, which just means that. I don't have time to think about whatever's in my head. Right. Um, There's not room for both all of their thoughts and all of my thoughts. Um, (laughs) And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And then also just the like actual act of loosening muscles, specifically my like neck and shoulders and jaw, the things that are very tight and tense, where I do hold the physical manifestations of anxiety or of, you know, poor sleep or these things that are outcomes of, you know, mental health not being where I want it to be. Thank you so much to Sweaty Betty for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, So Claire, I don't know if I've like complained to you about this Mm -hmm. enough, but I've just been in a really down mood about working out at home. And I feel like there was a period of time where I was like, perfectly like excited or enthusiastic yeah. about it. And now I'm just like, oh, it just, I just feel like there's so much extra navigating to do wherever I'm trying to do yoga or Pilates in my house where I'm either trying to move around my bed or my kitchen mm. table or like whatever it is. Yep. And there's just like this comfort level that is completely lost. And last night I did a yoga class with one of my favorite teachers and wore sweaty Betty's power leggings for the first time And I realized that there was a huge win from these leggings, which is that it takes like one thing away that was driving me fucking bonkers, Mm. um, which is I didn't have to pull them up the entire class. That's great. Because you know, you're doing like a downward dog into a plank and whatever. And then all of a sudden you're standing up and you're supposed to be, you know, like reaching into prayer hands towards the sky, but instead you're yanking up your leggings because they don't (laughs) stay where they're supposed to go. (laughs) That is something that I didn't have to deal with, with these wonderful leggings. And it is one of the many reasons I'm excited about Sweaty Betty's five-star rated power leggings, which have been a very big thing in the workout world for years, but that I hadn't tried until now. So the Sweaty Betty
1: Power leggings have expertly placed seams and squat tested compression fabric that sculpt your butt to be like the best version of your butt, honestly. They're quick drying with ample pockets on the back and side pockets, which is amazing if you are like not doing yoga and happen to be running around town or just going on a run and need to store your stuff. Also key because God, I hate when the pockets are in the front and make you look like you have like a pouch on your front because your keys are sticking out. They're also high-waisted, which, I feel like anyone who's ever worn leggings knows that that is key to them looking good and they have an adjustable drawstring. And then I think that the like real magic of all of these is where the seams are. They're perfectly placed in a way that just like makes everything look really nice and streamlined. The fabric on the Sweaty Betty Power leggings is opaque. So you're never worried about your underwear showing and they come in so many colors and patterns, which is key because according to Sweaty Betty, most people like come back and buy another pair after they've had their first because they're so good. So because you deserve to look amazing before, during, and after your workout, go to sweatybetty.com slash a thing or two and use code a thing or two to check out and get 20% off your purchase. This is the best offer Sweaty Betty has available anywhere. It's spelled dot com slash a thing or two. Use sweatybetty.com slash a thing or two, promo code a thing or two. And thank you so much for supporting the sponsors that support our show. The thing about that you, you described of like just doing what somebody else is telling you to do and like having that instruction being soothing is something that you sort of taught me about cooking or it's something mm. I never appreciated about cooking until I heard you talk about why you considered it so therapeutic that like at the end of the day, after doing so much thinking and talking and listening, you're just going through the motions of these instructions. And I think in part because I don't, I'm not a huge recipe person and I ad lib so much in the kitchen. Yeah. I never discovered that. But once you pointed that out, I started to really embrace that and like follow recipes more closely and just be like, I'm just going to go through these motions now. And that has turned me on to something that I think you've known for a long time, which is that like cooking can be really therapeutic in that way.
0: That's really interesting because I, I hadn't made the distinction between following a recipe or just like, you know, ad lib cooking. And I think I, during this time when there's just so much cooking, have been doing more ad lib cooking because mm-hmm. it just like, e- it feels yeah. easier. But I do think that your call out that I, I might be missing some of the meditative aspects mm-hmm. of just like losing myself in the like, next you heat the pan and you add the oil and you add right. like this many cloves of garlic, something that I don't know already or right. don't have to think about myself could be a good end of the day fix that I'm not yeah. really getting as much of.
1: It also like it's a small win, which I think especially when you're down, it's really important to give yourself those those small wins of like I follow these directions and this thing came out and it tastes good and I'm proud of it. Well, I can
0: slash or it's just done. <laughs> yeah. Like whether also, or not it's good, like it's yeah. done. It's yeah. like been finished to completion, which some days, I don't know, depending on what your work day looks like mm-hmm. or um yeah, or or anything looks like it might just you might not feel like anything was actually done from beginning to end. Right.
1: Right. The other thing that like why hooking becomes particularly important for me in these moments of feeling low is that, and, and I truly, truly hate to not even just admit this but acknowledge it is that when i eat healthier it is better for my mood and w- particularly when i've been going through periods of really intense depression i try to be really conscious of what i eat because it can be really triggering for me to and i don't mean like emotionally triggering i mean like yeah. eating a ton of fried greasy food will trigger anxiety for me and i just like can very much see the connection and uh, and like a ton of sugar too will feel just like i won't feel great about it and that's too bad because i love a lot of unhealthy food but i do th- find it uh, not great in those moments.
0: I think the older I get, the more I realize that my sleep affects these things and that the food I eat, especially at night affects my sleep. So having a heavy dinner, I will wake up three times in the middle of the night. And it is so like, it's such a <laughs> bummer. It's such a bummer to be like, Am, I'm like 37 years old and I can't sleep through the night if I have like creamy pasta or like a steak or something. And like, I don't want that to be the case, but it is something that I need to take into account and plan for because otherwise, like, yes, I will sleep like shit and then I will feel like shit yep. and then I will behave like shit, whatever. It's just, yep. it's it, yeah. It's probably not all necessarily worth it for <laughs> this particular bird. you just seconds. like in the evening,
1: like or you just have a yeah. 5 p.m. dinner because you're getting exactly. older and <laughs> that's what
0: you need. And yeah. that is what like yeah. the early bird special has yeah. taught us. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh um, another thing that i've like noticed about depression is, or like some sort of some various like incarnations of my depression is that a lot of times if i'm like socially engaged or just like engaged in general i can get really distracted from my depression and i can seem okay and i think a lot of people are that way which is why depression can be dangerous cuz people around you might not notice it because like you can put on a face or you can get sort of forget about it for a moment in a social situation and then like the minute i'm back home or by myself or whatever it is, like the depression comes running back. And I am have been thinking a lot about for people who are depressed right now that like there is no relief of like going to a party for an hour and forgetting no. about it. And you know, it, Zoom isn't necessarily going to be the thing. A phone call isn't necessarily going to be the thing. But like if there are ways that you can comfortably socially engage right now, if you are struggling, like it could be a helpful thing. I it's it's definitely it's definitely one of the uh
0: the like most dangerous things about what we're going Um, through right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, seeing people for sure helps, but for me talking on the phone does not help at all. And I think for it, it just makes me feel like further away or lonelier or something. And sometimes somehow texting with just like one person can feel better for me than um, a phone call and definitely, you know, better than a group text. And this is like absolutely no substitute for, for social engagement or like interacting with friends, but I do find that some days it helps to listen to a podcast that is like two people talking yep. um, and where I don't feel like I'm meant to like necessarily track an interview or, you know, learn something. Cause mm-hmm. I will, my, brain will try to like go there and be like, I should retain this or this is interesting or whatever. But jam session, yes. Who Weekly, home cooking, bad on paper, still processing, taking Hue for granted, like just things that are like super, super chatty where I can leave the room for seven minutes and come back and not feel like I've totally lost the thread.
1: I um, do think you're it's right. It's like having company.
0: <laughs> like,
1: I, I feel honestly. the exact same way. And I, I hope that people, you know, can get that out of our podcast as well. But it it really is therapeutic for me. Like you're right, it's not a substitute, but I I would I don't think we should undersell how helpful it can be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's also been nice because I've had a hard time watching TV and movies lately for whatever reason. And I have not found them to be a good distraction, whether, whether they're like new or old or mm-hmm. like I can't fall into old favorites. Anything new feels hard for me to fully engage with. So listening to like that kind of podcast has been good for me. And also reading fiction um, is about the only other way I've been able to just like leave the world behind for a minute and I have started to hone in on exactly what type of fiction is doing it for me right now. Oh, tell, tell. Yes. It has to be an old, like it, it can't be a new release. It can't be set in the present uh-huh. um, or even just written in the present because anything that's come out in 2020 is written through a lens of the last couple of years, whether or not the setting is current right. or not. right but I'm not really interested in like a classic classic that I feel like requires work from me. So I'm looking at, I'm like this, my like date range is like basically the fifties to the eighties. I so like this. Uh, That's a killing. Yeah. One is I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith, which came out in 1948 and is just like, oh, if you like, Pride and Prejudice, or like, if you Mm. like Jane Austen, like, sure. Mrs. Bridge by Evan Connell came out in 1955, but you would never know it. Um, I'm finally reading Octavia Butler for the first time. um, Mm -hmm. And Kindred is amazing. It came out in 1979. It's it's not light. It doesn't have to be light as long as it doesn't feel current. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then if you haven't read Heartburn by Nora Ephron, which came out in 1983, it is just... So good. Yeah, so good. I've, so good. I have
1: not read many books multiple times, but I have read that one multiple times. But I have somehow never seen the movie, which is I crazy. I haven't seen the movie either. Maybe we're um, going to have to do like a, a virtual movie night for that one. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. I have somehow
0: not seen the movie either.
1: Yeah. I have I've been the opposite where I've been, I, I have not really been as good at engaging in books unless they are romance novels really. That's like about as much as I've been able to do. There's some other ones here and there, but I have struggled to focus and have been leaning more into TV and movies where I can. The other thing you you brought up was this like idea of the comparison game, which I think we've all been playing like since day one of the pandemic, where it's all like you talk to a friend and you're like, how are you doing? And you're like, well, I can't complain. I mean, this, that, and the other, but like so many people are suffering and people are dying right now. And like this struggle to be like, am I allowed to have problems when I know that I'm coming from a place of extraordinary privilege or even just like some privilege?
0: I'm better off than somebody. No, it's interesting because I think the comparison game is a game we've been playing our whole lives, obviously, and Mm -hmm. especially since we started living lives on the internet. Um, But it usually came from a different direction where you were were comparing to people who you thought (laughs) had it better than you. Yes. Yes. And now we've shifted to comparing it to people that you think have it worse than you. Mm -hmm. Or both at least. Yeah. Um and I think that's like better from an you know an empathic perspective Truly. for sure. Yeah. But I think it's very easy to forget that it's not a competition. It's like yeah. suffering is not a competition and you have every right to feel like shitty in your circumstance or just shitty from a mental health perspective that has nothing to do with circumstance um as an ex-person. And there's no, you know, there's nothing to like there's no reason why you can't complain about what's happening to you or vent about what's happening to you, to a friend who also has shit going
1: on. And by the way, like that's what friends are for. It's like, yeah, maybe don't go complaining on your Instagram about like your petty problem that feels like, you know, relative to everything that's going on, not that important, but it's literally what friends are for is to like help, you know, let you vent about those things. I was in, I was having a conversation with our management coach who, as I've mentioned before, is like part management coach, part therapist. And I was complaining about something and saying like, it's just like dumb though, because it's like in the grand scheme of things, I really have it good. And like, and he was like, but this is a, exactly, like, why you have these appointments with me. Like, what, what yeah. else would you be like? You actually is, pay me money for this. Yes. <laughs> this is, like, the one time you can just, like, you, you should, you need to vent about it. Like, vent about this thing. Um, and I was like, wow, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, you're not here to judge whether or not my problems are worthwhile. You're just here to, like, listen and help. And same with friends who same you with don't friends. Even have to pay. Nope. Exactly. Exactly. The other thing we thought it would be helpful to talk about is various resources that we have found helpful that other people might benefit from. So the first category is books and articles. Um, and I wanted to talk about my sort of like holy grail of people experiencing like clinical major depression or really like
0: your age, people who are G- your not. HG depression <laughs> book, OMG. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, it's called The Mindful Way Through Depression. It is written by John Kabat-Zinn, who is like the granddaddy of mindfulness. He developed the practice of mindfulness based stress reduction at the university of massachusetts medical school and i think what part of why like he really spoke to me is that he was the first person to really bring mindfulness into like an academic and medical setting he is not woo woo at all he's an academic and he really- and a lot
0: of hospitals have developed mindfulness yes. practices and
1: centers as a result of his work exactly he like he just he was the one to legitimize it and he's he started using it in, like one of the things that that I think really put him on the map was that he started using it as a way to help treat patients with chronic pain. You know, which as an alternative to medication was is a huge breakthrough. And I want to tell you something, this is a huge really thick book and I've never read the whole thing and and yet I feel like it totally changed my life. It like fundamentally transformed my relationship with my depression and anxiety in that it like introduced this idea that I think is more widespread now that feelings are not facts and I can like acknowledge and accept my depression as a thing rather than letting it overwhelm me and feel all-encompassing and feel like this thing I have to just totally fight against. And I think there's something about, and this is sort of like this like Zen Buddhist philosophy, but just like accepting it and saying like, it's here and I, I'm i okay with that. And like, I don't want to say welcoming it, although I think he might say you should welcome it, but like yeah. just, just, you know, accepting that it's there Allows me to say, like, okay, it's not it is a thing, it's not a fact, it's not gonna happen, it's not who I am, but it is this thing that exists in my life right now and it's not gonna happen forever. It's gonna come into my life and it's gonna leave my life and it may come back again. And I think that has really helped with another side effect of my depression, which is that like my sense of time gets really screwy and I I tend to I tend to get in this place where I'm like, well, this is my life now. This is so overwhelming and all-encompassing, like it might never not feel this way. And to be able when I can to like enter a phase of depression by saying like, this is happening right now, but I know it's not going to happen forever. And it's going to be just as miserable and awful, but I can accept that it's not going to be this way forever, I think is like a hugely powerful thing for me. The other person who feels to me like the sort of slightly more woo-woo companion of John Kabat-Zinn. And I think they may have actually done some work together is this woman, Pima Chodron. She's a Tibetan Buddhist nun. And I think she's maybe like the first and only Western Tibetan Buddhist nun. It is more philosophical in its approach. It's yes. Not like academic approach, but it is the most, for me, like sort of matter of fact, Zen Buddhist writing that I have come into contact with. And I think she she's had a lot of um, popularity, especially recently, and I think part of it is that it like you don't have to feel like you're buying into something um, in, in what she writes. So uh, the book of hers that I first encountered that I really loved is called Comfortable with Uncertainty. But I think her most well known and widely read book is called When Things Fall Apart. And then there's this other one that I really love that's called The Pocket Pima That is literally like a pocket sized book of hers that just has you know sort of shorter writings of hers on each page and. It's one of those things where I feel like you see it on the subway occasionally and you kind of want to just give somebody a knowing look because <laughs> it's totally. a little cool subway book to just like keep in your, keep in your bag and uh, pull out and read in between stops. But I highly recommend her writing. I
0: have to try to get into her again. I, had, I, I can't remember which book I had read. Maybe it was comfortable with uncertainty, but I think the moment when I was reading it was maybe just like a moment where I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know, I couldn't get in.
1: I have to say it really requires a certain mindset and it's not like I'm like picking her up every night. And I'm sure there are some people who are in there, like it's more of a way of life, but I, th- I hate to put it this way, but I think I really only turn to her in moments of desperation feeling like mm. I really need some guidance, yeah. um, which, you know, for better or worse, um, because it is Buddhist philosophy and there are, there are metaphors and it like takes a little bit of, um, work to process. It's dense in that way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. totally, totally. The other person who writes about depression, not in a way that is meant to help, that's not instructive, but that I find really helpful for me is Joanna Goddard, who writes the blog Cup of Joe. I just personally relate to her descriptions of depression so much. And I found that to be so helpful, like just an incredibly powerful thing. Because again, like if for you, depression means a feeling of isolation, then to read somebody describing depression in a way that is the same as yours is just, it it breaks down that sense of isolation. She first wrote about her postpartum depression. And again, this was a while ago at a time when people weren't really talking about it. She wrote this blog post called The Hardest Two Months of My Life and wrote really articulately and honestly about what that experience was like. And I think it really like sort of sent ripples through that part of the world that she was in because people weren't talking about it as much then. The other thing she mentioned in that essay that I think was really important is that her postpartum depression was sort of triggered by suddenly going almost like cold turkey with breastfeeding, which I think is something that a lot of women aren't and weren't aware of that you can be- told. That weaning, that like that yeah. process can be a trigger that can cause hormonal shifts. Speaking of Kay Redfield-Jameson,
0: um, we've been talking mostly about depression, but um, I really like the work that she's done around bipolar disorder. And I have a close family member with bipolar disorder. And it has, was very helpful for me to read her book, An Unquiet Mind, which is about her experience as a psychiatrist who understands this disease and has this disease herself- like going
1: through it. Um, yeah. She's written a couple of books on that yeah. topic. Which her, sure. I loved *On Quiet Mind too. That was the first one of hers that I read and I was so impressed with it. And I think it also has that same effect of sort of being like breaking down the sense of isolation that one feels. Um, yes. It's really, totally really impressive.
0: Sharing mm-hmm. that like real experience of someone who's gone, who's like gone through it. And it isn't just like, again, like, oh, I understand what that is because I've had feelings of being manic. No, you haven't. Like, right. this is what it's,
1: this is what it actually is. Exactly. Yeah. Two articles that we love that are really like instructional, helpful advice. One is in New York Magazine called How to Help Someone with Depression. And I just like commend the shit out of them for this uh, article. And I keep it like basically bookmarked because I don't care how often I've read this Article or have dealt with a loved one in my life who's had depression, I always feel incredibly helpless. I always feel like I don't know what to do or say. And so to be able to have this thing that I can turn to that has really clear instructions, has word for word scripts, has evidence based strategies is so helpful because it does sort of remind me that, like, this isn't about like what. I personally feel is the right thing to say or like what my gut is telling me or what my relationship with this person is like how you would approach it exactly. or like, yeah, yeah. It yeah. has these really clear directives that I find so helpful. And again, like I, I just think this is something like an impossible thing to know how to deal with. And so i very glad to have this resource.
0: Another resource that we love relates to grief um, and, you know, depression can often coincide with grief or accompany grief. And it's an LA Times article called How Not to Say the Wrong Thing, which basically explains the ring theory of grief. And we've talked about this before, but basically the person experiencing the the thing that would create the grief for others um, or whatever is at the center of the rings. And then there are uh, concentric rings coming out from them of, of the people that are Further and further away from the person who's experiencing this thing. So let's say the person experiencing this thing is someone who has COVID right now or someone who's going through cancer right now. And then the close family members are the next string. And then the friends are the next string. And then maybe the coworkers are the next string. And so what it explains is that as a person figuring, you have to kind of figure out where you are in this ring. And your role is to comfort the people that are closer in you and to dump your feelings or whatever anxieties you have out to people who are further away. So if I have a friend who's going through something, I need to comfort them, but maybe I can dump out to Claire and explain like, oh, like it's been so hard to talk to this person about this thing or whatever, but it's not on, I can't put that weight and that burden on them.
1: That was such a good way of, of explaining it. And I love it so much because I think it's similar to how, you know, helping somebody with depression, it is one of those moments where your instincts are not always right. One of my closest friends, little brothers died, and she's one of my best friends. And I would constantly find myself wanting to tell her how sad I was um, and how how painful this was for me, in part because she's my best friend. And in part because yeah. it felt like camaraderie Commodery or something. Yeah, and something. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That this person meant a lot to you too. Exactly. Yeah. And to just be reminded that like, she, I can't put that on her right now. I can put that on our other friends, you know, I, there's somebody else to talk to about that. I could talk to you, Erica, about it, but not to put it on her. And again, it went against my instinct, but it was the right thing to do. And having this like sort of clear instruction in that way was really helpful. Totally. Totally. We also had some
0: podcasts and Instagram accounts that we wanted to call out that are that are good resources. Um, I feel like you have a like very good sense of the podcast landscape here. <laughs> My one contribution is Hey, Cool Life with Mary H.K. Choi, um, where she talks about her own just sort of daily, um, what the inside of her head looks like on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Um, and she is incredibly articulate. And she is so real and honest. And I just love being able to feel like I am slipping into someone's psyche in the way that she lets us,
1: um, it's comforting. It's really remarkable how soothing I find that podcast and how, like you said, articulate she is able to be in an incredibly honest way. There are two podcasts that I find really therapeutic and comforting. One is Unlocking Us with Brene Brown, which I think, you know, Brene, Brene Brown's basically like a major celebrity at this point. She is. Um, and, but she's so gentle. She's so caring. And she, um, you know, it's like having access to her as a therapist in some ways. The other one that I really love is um, the hilarious world of depression, in which is interviews with comedians who have dealt with depression. It's such a genius topic because there is this thing where so many comedians struggle with mental health. Yes. Which... I can't explain, but I think it's explained to some in some ways through this podcast. Um, so it's interviews with them about what it's been like, and it's a way to get at these really dark, challenging conversations that has some levity to it because it's comedians talking to comedians about it, uh, or talking to another comedian about it. And I really recommend it. It's it's still like can be dark and hard to listen to, but I there's something about it where- But also fun. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. fun. (laughs) Um, And again, in that same way, where like hearing people describe something that uh, is similar to your experience is really helpful. And then the other one is, I don't listen to Oprah's Super Soul Sunday regularly. I'll listen to it when there's a, a guest or a topic that appeals to me. But she does have an episode with John Kabat-Zinn, who we were talking about earlier, that I have listened to like two or three times. It feels to me like a really good refresher course on his approach to mindfulness. And I really love that episode. When
0: it comes to Instagram accounts, I have found myself being almost like a little less picky about follows in this particular space Mm -hmm. and welcoming in things that, you know, I might find like a little cheesy to like go to a blog or like whatever um, that was serving up content that was reminding me what anxiety feels like or or all of that. But it has been nice to say like, actually, I'm going to just like give over some of my Instagram real estate to these things, which I think as you were scrolling through your feed, Which I think is an act that works against your mental health and works against like all of our best instincts to take care of ourselves. It is nice to have the algorithm serve you things that are like, hey, like, don't forget, like, this is something to think about. This is something to be aware about uh, or to be aware of. These are like things that you need more of. That's such a good point. It is such a good point.
1: Yeah. You're sort of like, you're, Providing yourself with an antidote to the rest of Instagram. Yes,
0: that's right. That's a much more succinct.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We need them both. The other thing I noticed when we sort of like compiled this list of a handful of accounts that we find helpful in this realm is that like, I don't know, like 80% of them are run by Black women, which is also like no surprise because, um, you know, Black women have been sort of like, I think, neglected in the area of mental health a lot. And so they've had to sort of like do this for themselves and have. Done so much in terms of making mental health resources more accessible and bringing attention to the fact that Black women need these resources in the Black community in general. Um, So it, it is no surprise that a lot of these accounts are run by them. One that I wanted to call out that I really like is called Ask Dr. Jess. She is a psychiatrist in New York City and she does a ton of like sort of instructional, like recurring little Chats and interviews and instructionals and things like that. It's just, it's an incredible resource. And she's also gives a glimpse into what it's like to be a psychiatrist in the New York City hospital system, which is really interesting. Um, and I just find her to be a great follow. Another one we love that's actually not really active anymore, but is a great deep dive is Emily McDowell, who we first encountered because she makes really wonderful greeting cards and she makes um, these empathy cards, which we've talked about before, which sort of relate to this topic in general. They yes. are. Cards that they're like get well cards and uh, other cards for shitty situations that don't beat around the bush, that aren't like an angel is carrying your mom up to heaven. It's like, I'm sorry, this sucks. And like, I will never try to sell you a, a woo woo uh, solution to your cancer or whatever it is. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But she, I think, speaks about and writes about mental health in a way that's really. Um, matter of fact and wonderful and just like no bullshit and used to be really active on Instagram. So her accounts can provide something there. And then the other one that I love that's like not really the same as a lot of these because it's it's really a personal account is Beer Bottles and Chainsaws, which is Crystal Anderson, who is just so funny and delightful. Um, A lot of people came to know her through Man Repeller because she worked there. But she has spoken really openly about her struggles with mental health and made a sort of like recurring meme of take them if you need them about her yeah. meds and would just film herself every day taking her meds to normalize that and encourage other people to do the same and created this community around people who needed medication to, you know, help, help their brains out a little bit. And I, I really love the way that she talks about mental health. And then there
0: are a few that are more formalized resources specifically um, and, and and specifically formalized resources for Black women and or people of color. So one is called Sad Girls Club, um, which is just like an exceptional name. (laughs) Um, So good. I mean, so, so good. And this is one that serves, you know, that does serve a lot of like graphics and reminders and just these like, I think things that serve as like good Instagram nags of like, hey, remember to think about this. Remember... And remember that you're not alone in this and that other people are going through all of these things too. Same with the Loveland Foundation, which is an organization focused on providing mental health support for Black women and girls. There are a lot of graphics on identifying and and coping with symptoms of anxiety and burnout and grief. Um, Things that I think when you're going through your day can kind of slip your mind that, like, oh, maybe that is what is happening right now. And then Brown Girl Therapy, which is very smart, it's focused on the mental health community for children of immigrants. and the very distinct pressures that come from being a a child of immigrants. And I think I've learned a lot just by consuming some of the content there about uh, the experiences that many friends have had that I haven't personally had myself.
1: I love that. Another one that's like a little adjacent to all of this that's interesting and like educational is the nap ministry, which is basically this account that says rest is a form of resistance and encourages napping specifically. But it's really, it's not just about taking a nap. It's like the reason we don't take naps in the middle of the day is because there's this whole like structure working against us, like rooted in capitalism, rooted in white supremacy. And if we can like reclaim rest and reclaim naps, that is a start towards dismantling that. And it's super interesting. And I think especially sort of like speaks to people who are, might be struggling with some of these issues. The other thing that I found really helpful, but I'm wildly inconsistent about is meditating. Um,
0: You know, Claire, same. And when I do it, I feel great about it and I want to do it more. And when I don't, I'm like, who has the time? Who could possibly?
1: That's the thing. And it's like one of those things where I'm like, ma'am, you started, you went from like exercising never to doing it every single day. You could certainly introduce a meditation routine into your life. And yet I've never been able to crack the code.
0: No, totally. And I took a transcendental meditation course at some point and really got a lot out of it and really liked transcendental meditation in general. But I don't know what it is um, that has made it really hard for me to, yeah, to really, to really like do consistently, but that's yeah. something to work on for sure. Yep.
1: The app that I like the most and that I use the most often is the Insight Timer, which, you know, there are a ton of apps. There's Calm. There's one I think called Breathe. There's Headspace. Um, But what I really like about Insight Timer is it's almost like a marketplace of guided meditations. And so you can find the people whose voices you like, whose style you like. You can search by topic. You can search by time. There are just so many options. And it feels like less of a brand. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I
0: think that's what I've always struggled with with Headspace, where I'm Mm -hmm. like, I... I have to buy into this whole brand and like the music and the soundscaping and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if I can do that.
1: Well, and like, God forbid, you don't like Andy Petacomb's voice. Like, I mean, that you're, you're SOL, right? So <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. And that is one thing I really like about Insight Timer is that like, there are just certain people whose like intonations or accents I find comforting. And I can just go back and look at all the meditations that they offer. And um, there's just, you know, everything on the spectrum from like, pretty academic to woo-woo guided meditations and being able to search by time also because one of the biggest blockers to meditating is time, right? Love a search by time on pretty much anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And within Insight Timer, I discovered the UCLA Mindfulness Awareness Research Center who offers all these guided meditations and that I really respond to their style of it. And they actually have like a separate website with all of their guided meditations and resources that you can access. Um, But they do a really nice job. And again, for people who like tend to get more suspicious of people who feel like wellness coaches or whatever, they are a nice solution.
0: Something we have not talked about much on this episode, but that is obviously core to this conversation is therapy.
1: Yes, huge proponent of therapy, love therapy, definitely over-therapized. Um, and if there, are, there is such a thing, the, right, yeah. truly, if there is such a thing, love it, love it, love it. Um, I, I always say, like, I feel like you can't spend enough money like there 's no such thing as spending too much money on education or therapy like that yep. those are things worth investing in two resources that make it like incredibly easy because it's really like text bait you can do text therapy you can do video chat or talk space and better help and of course like all therapy is video chat now but um, there are two companies Alma and real which launched really recently which are doing you know offering video therapy right now, but are really more about like finding a therapist, finding one that's right for you, developing a longer term relationship, and presumably uh, seeing that therapist in person when that is a safe thing to do again.
0: As much as it sucks to not be able to see people in person, I am really hoping that this shift to like you know Zoom therapy and and text therapy and all of that is a lasting one because I just think it opens up the the quality of mental health care reaching people in places where that does not naturally exist. Um, and I just think of, you know, my parents in Peoria, Illinois, who have never, you know, it's a big enough city, but, it, but psychiatric care is just, it's not what it is in New York, you know, yep. <laughs> yep. for sure. And it just makes such a big difference if there are things like this that you could access someone that you were really like excited about, or you could really connected with who was not locally near you.
1: Yeah. I agree with that completely. And because for a lot of people, it, it, time does tend to be that barrier to entry and saying like, I don't, I can't spend 30 minutes on the subway, um, find, you know, back and forth every day. A hundred percent. It's so wonderful that that is becoming normalized. Or even just like office hours, you know I mean?
0: I imagine like this, you could do this. You could have an appointment with someone who,
1: you know, isn't within their typical like nine to five or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the other thing we just wanted to mention at the end of this, because it's an important thing to know about, is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. And if you or somebody you know um, is thinking about suicide, please call that number. Um, thanks for listening to us talk about this, and we hope you all are well. Oh my gosh. I got a lot out of talking about this. Me too. Me too. Yeah. 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 That's great. Right.
0: This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com.